All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this 26th day of January 2021. And I do like to remind you, I publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or you can call our office here in New York City at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426 during normal work hours. And I uh, would also like to encourage you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? Go to chenpicks.com. ChenPix.com for Chen's excellent work, really coming up with some exciting biotech stories these days, as well as uh, in the mining sector, he also focuses on, uh, but biotechs, he's just really having a lot of fun and making a lot of money in the biotech sector now, so you might want to consider, if that's an area of interest to you, consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter. We do want to thank all of you for listening, making this one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also want to uh, thank you uh, and encourage you to continue sending along your comments about this show. Anything you have to say, we're happy to hear uh, what you have, and it's always helpful to us to know if we're connecting with you or not, and that's one way that we know. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Uh, today's sponsors are Cassiar Gold Corp., SK Mining, Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp., Eloro Resources, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Fury Gold Mines, Great Bear Resources, and Lion One Metals. I've titled today's show, Will Democrats Be Gold Friendly? John Rubino and Dr. Quentin Henning return as guests this week. The Democrat Party hates gold, but so do the, does the Republican Party. Alan Greenspan explained why politicians hate gold in his uh, 1966 essay that he wrote. He said, and I quote, This is the shabby secret of the welfare status triads against gold. Deficit spending is simply a scheme for the hidden confiscation of wealth. Gold stands in the way of this insidious process. It stands as a protector of property rights. If one grasps this, one has no difficulty understanding that statist antagonism toward the gold standard, end of quote. Well, now that Democrats control all branches of our government, what, if anything, will that mean for stocks, bonds, commodities, precious metals in 2021? Even if the Republicans had retained control of the Senate, we could have anticipated endless trillions of inflationary dollars being created because, quite frankly, when President Nixon, uh, because, quite frankly, as President Nixon declared, Back in 19, in the early 1970s, he said, and I quote, we are all Keynesians now. 
the swamp creatures that were created with Keynesian economics is what Washington is all about. And that's what President Eisenhower warned us about, that in fact, the people that feed off of the money that's created out of nothing by Washington, by the Federal Reserve, will become extremely powerful and have more to say about the country than our founding fathers ever wanted them to have to say. Well, lies can appear as truth for a very long time, but eventually science and mathematics become truth-tellers. And I fear the truth about Keynesian economics is about to bite the entire world in the posterior end, because through the Keynesian distortion of the price of capital, debt is growing exponentially, while GDP, required to service that debt, is slowing to a trickle. So how will politicians and central bankers respond? Well, politically, they can't afford to admit that they are wrong, so they will keep on doing the only thing they know, and that is to continue on with the same insane path of printing more and more money faster and faster while expecting different results. So we can be quite certain that the big lie that politicians have been telling people for so many decades is about to be exposed as all fiat currencies are now racing towards the dustbin of history as Alistair McLeod likes to remind us on this show frequently. My inflation deflation index, which I publish weekly now, continues to reach new highs with commodities leading the way. So the inevitable end would seem to be hyperinflation, although it is possible we could see some financial deflation in the interim. One possibility is that central banks lose control of interest rates, leading to massive bond losses, and which would be expected then also to trigger equity market uh, declines. But that would likely result in still more money printing and more than likely some heavy-handed totalitarian laws passed to try to fix the problem. But through it all, tangible monetary assets like gold and silver will hold their purchasing power. We can be sure of that based on thousands of years of history. In any event, John Rubino will be with me during the second half of today's show to talk about what, if any difference, Democrats uh, democratic control of the of the U.S. government will have on various markets and specifically on the gold markets as well as prospects for equity market uh, equity and, and bond markets as well. Uh, and what John sees uh, as far as equity markets are concerned, reminiscent of the dot-com bubble in 2000. And so uh, John will be uh, giving his ideas about the potential for an equity market decline. Michael Oliver is not with us this week, but I should uh, just mention that he now seems to have little concern for any serious decline in the price of gold. He is scheduled to be with me next week to update us on his views of the markets. I should also mention that regarding silver, Michael has not voiced any concerns. He remains extremely bullish on poor man's gold, which leads me to bring a very exciting silver story to your attention, that being one of our sponsors, namely El Oro Resources. And we are extremely fortunate to have Dr. Quentin Henning with us right now to talk about the exciting drill results that were reported by El Oro this morning. The company reported a headline drill intercept of 257.5 meters, grading 129.6 grams of silver equivalent. Now, Quentin did first introduce El Oro to, uh, to uh, the listeners of this show on January 5th. Uh, at that time, it sold at $1.90 in Canadian money. 
Uh, I just checked a little while ago. That's in, in Canadian dollars, $1.90. I checked a little while ago before we went on the show. It's up to $3.03 now, and that's on the basis largely of this news that just came out this morning. Um, should just mention before I say to he- hello to Quentin, ELO on the Canadian exchanges uh, in the U.S., it's ELRRF or this is the symbol. Uh, and uh, this is a company that has a market cap. Now, if, if my uh, arithmetic is right, of something like $157 million in Canadian money. Uh, welcome, Quentin, and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us in this first segment. Thank you very much, Jay. It's a good opportunity given the, the timing of the announcement this morning. Yeah, indeed. So let's get right into it. What have you learned from the announcement this morning of this uh, this intercept and, and other drill holes as well? Yeah, look, I, I won't dive into a, a lot of background about the story. I think we covered a lot of that back in the broadcast a, a couple of weeks ago. But the, mm-hmm. uh, the drill results here today, it, it really confirms that uh, we are on to a significant discovery. Um, to put it in perspective, uh, this new pipe that's been drilled or discovered, uh, the Santa Barbara pipe, it's about 400 meters in diameter. And we, we actually drilled this from underground, believe it or not. So we had a drill station, uh, because there's artisanal workings, we had a drill station we could get into and drill from underground. And we drilled a couple of holes uh, at this pipe. We drilled 13, 14, and 15 at this pipe. 13... Uh, actually went along the margin of it, so it didn't get into the breccia. 14, which was almost a horizontal hole, did mm-hmm. get into the breccia. We could see it was mineralized, and there was some good values in it. There were, actually were some good values in 13, too, which is quite interesting. But it was hole 15 that was a smoker. Okay, so from this underground platform, we poked a hole into this breccia pipe, the St. Barbara breccia pipe, mm-hmm. and the hole entered the pipe, it went through it somewhat tangentially and then exited the other wall. Okay, so think about a glass, you know, like a, a water glass in front of you, mm-hmm. a of water glass. We basically, you know, had a glancing blow. We kind of hit the thing uh, along its edge, uh, went into the glass for a bit, and then we went back out. But as we went through that, that glass and we hit the breccia, we hit 257 meters, as you said, of mm-hmm. nearly 130 gram per ton silver equivalent. Now, that's phenomenal, okay? I mean, that tells you right there we're dealing with a huge volume pipe uh, that's, that apparently is well mineralized and getting better with depth. You can go to the news release. You can kind of uh, kick back with a glass of wine and, and read it this evening because you really need to sit down and look at all the numbers and digest them. These are polymetallic systems, okay? It's not just silver. It's silver, zinc, lead. In this case, we have tin... Uh, copper, indium, and other metals, including gold in places. Okay, so this is basically a, a polymetallic smorgasbord of metal. And we can now, you know, honestly say, given the assays are back, that we are on to a significant discovery. Okay, so drilling from underground is great, but the limitations of drilling underground, basically the rig can only do, I think, around 300 meters. We realized we had to do something uh, a little more aggressive to, to really give this thing a, a good test now. So we've cut a road all the way up to the top of the mountain. We put the drill right on top of the St. Barbara breccia pipe, and we're now poking holes down into it. So if we were standing on a water glass, we're actually drilling down steeply down into the water glass uh, at steep angles. Yes, it does hit the wall eventually, you know, but usually it's 600 mm-hmm. meters down or, or thereabouts. So 
So what have we done? Well, uh, right before Christmas, we drilled uh, the second hole from surface, which was, I think, about an inclination of 60 degrees. And it was drilled southward. And the, the hole went through the St. Barbara breccia pipe. It had hundreds of meters of mineralized breccia. It went into the wall. So it went into the wall of the glass, say. And then guess what? It went into the next breccia pipe immediately south. <laughs> we went into the central breccia pipe. I kid you not. And the hole carried on to, I think, a depth of something like 620 or 30 meters or something. Anyway, it, it, the central pipe is also mineralized. Okay, so not only is this this 400 meter diameter St. Barbara breccia pipe mineralized, but this next one to the south, which is even bigger, is also mineralized. This ah. one to the south, which is called the central breccia, is about 700 meters north south, and it's about 450 meters wide east west. So it's kind of an all oh. thing, a football shaped thing. Okay, um, but we can now tell you i mean honestly that you know we've got two massive pipes here that are both mineralized and if anything the the uh, metals increasing as we go deeper the bottom of that hole the bottom of hole two uh that was drilled from surface has hit massive sulfides including pyrite and sphalerite and galena and all the all the goodies that you want to see it, it, at the bottom of the hole it, the hole ended in bad ground but it was in really really good mineralized ground Okay, so we are super excited about the, the upcoming assays that, that will come out of hole two. There is description in the news release about the details around that. I think they also threw some pictures in. Uh, it'll give people a really good sense of what's coming. We're on the very you know beginning cusp of this story. This is just going to take off. Uh, I think it could be one of the best stories, in, quite frankly, in mining in the past decade. Um, it's it's absolutely massive. I mean, this potosi type system, these things are basically, they're formed by a giant porphyry at depth. Uh, in this case, the porphyry might be a few hundred meters below us, but it's not far, okay? Mm -hmm. And we're seeing a lot of mineralization. We're seeing a lot of exotic elements that you only see when you're basically sitting right on top of the porphyry. We're seeing tin, mm. we're seeing indium. Indium's a very high-value metal. Uh, we're seeing, you know, some other exotic metals that tell us we're very, very uh, close in proximity to the porphyry source. Huh. You know, when I say close, I'm talking hundreds of meters, okay, but, you know, when you're dealing with a pipe or pipes like this that mm -hmm. go down a kilometer or two, you know, you have a lot of rock to work with. Mm -hmm. And then below that, there might be a, a lot more rock. <laughs> so, <laughs> in the porphyry. Yeah, exactly. This is going to be a very, very exciting story uh, over the next few months. Yeah, I would certainly encourage listeners to make sure that they uh, go to the company's website and read the press release there because those pictures do help you to conceptualize the magnitude and, you know, the, the uh, orientation of the drill holes that went in, as, as you just talked about. Very helpful, I found, to look at that. Uh, and, and the company's well-financed uh, to go forward, and, and how much of a drilling program do you think we can look forward to in 2021? Like right now, with uh, the monies that were just raised, uh, there's plans for 14,000 meters. Mm -hmm. That will allow us to drill a, a series of well-planned holes, uh, you know, again, down into the glass, so to speak, at the St. Barbara pipe, but also test that central breccia. I would say just on those 14,000 meters that we should have a very good indication of the tons and grade of, of this system, at least, you know, a beginning, we'll say. Sure. Uh, but, you know, given the magnitude of this discovery, you know, it's likely that things will need to be accelerated. 
Uh, don't have much more to say about that right now, but I mm -hmm. think we're on to uh, what could be, uh, again, one of the biggest mineral discoveries in, uh, in many years. Well, that's uh, funny to hear you say that because we're going to have you come back the next segment and somebody else thinks they may have one of the biggest discoveries in recent times as well. We, uh, uh, that has to do with SK Creek, <laughs> the SK, SK mining. We're going to have fun. <laughs> what was yeah. that, Quentin? I say we're going to have a lot of fun talking about that one. With that one as well. Okay, well, we do have to go to break now, folks, but don't go away because we will uh, be right back with Quentin Henning to talk about SK Mining, which is also on to a very exciting discovery. We'll be right back with Quentin Henning. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Cassiar Gold Corp. trades on the OTCQB under the symbol CGLCF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GLDC. Its flagship asset, the Cassiar Gold Project, is a large advanced stage road-accessible gold property with an NI43-101 compliant resource estimate of 1 million ounces at 1.43 grams per ton gold at the Taurus near-surface bulk tonnage gold deposit and 15 kilometers of high-grade gold prospects. The property hosts several past-producing high-grade gold mines and is in search for the next multi-million ounce gold camp in British Columbia. Fury Gold Mines is a Canadian exploration and development company committed to aggressively growing its scalable, high-grade gold assets across its 3.5 million ounce portfolio. Led by a management team of proven explorers and developers, Fury aims to generate major catalysts and performance per share by advancing exploration campaigns across Canada. Fury is well positioned to create value for investors with low risk development growth and the potential for a new major discovery. Fury Gold Mines trades on the TSX and NYSC American under Fury. To learn more, go to FuryGoldMines.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times is Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I mentioned in the previous segment, Dr. Quentin Henning is with me again. Uh, this time, he's going to talk about another sponsor to this show, SK Mining. Uh, Dr. Quentin Henning is an advisor to SK Mining, uh, as well uh, as, uh, uh, as uh, to many different companies. He is, uh, his uh, skills and abilities uh, as a geologist and as, a, uh, as an economic geologist and as a, a person who can put technical terms into, uh, into language that lay people can understand uh, is very valuable to us, and we're very thankful that he can be with us again. 
So uh, thank you, Quentin. I'm, I'm so glad that you could be with us here to talk about SK Mining as well today. You were actually scheduled to come on to talk about SK Mining, but because of the uh, uh, the excitement with El Oro, uh, we were fortunate to have you on uh, for that as well. But let's talk about SK because SK Mining, and let's just maybe start out uh, for the benefit of those who may not be familiar with the famous SK Creek polymetallic VMS project. Can you put that in, let our listeners know how valuable that deposit was. I mean, it was one yeah. of the richest deposits, I think, in Canadian history. Well, look, that's why I'm, uh, you know, when Mac Balcom asked me to, to help with SK Mining, and, uh, you know, I, he actually asked me a few years ago, but I, I couldn't find the team at the time. Uh, but that's why I agreed to help him was because uh, this property is, is outstanding. It's got about 85% of the prospective ground for this SK Creek style mineralization, you know, these VMS deposits, VMS, vulcanogenic massive sulfide. These are black smokers that formed on the ocean floor, you know, back uh, about 180 million years ago. Uh, okay, so we've got uh, basically a, a, uh, an extinct a volcanic field, a submarine volcanic field uh, within this belt that might have multiple SK Creek type deposits. SK Creek, when it was found, was just, it blew the, you know, the market. Uh, away. I mean, it it was a phenomenal discovery. Late 1980s, I believe, 1989, something like 200 feet of over an ounce per ton in the first hole, the discovery hole. It was a phenomenal uh, discovery. It was also it took some time too. It was uh, like 100, and, I don't know, 150, 170 holes or something. It was astounding how long and, and patiently it, you know it it took to find the darn thing. But uh, boy, when they found it, it was a world class deposit. Uh, you know, it was uh, eventually bought out by Homestake, and then uh, Barrick bought Homestake, so Barrick ended up mining the bulk of the, the deposit. It was the single highest grade gold mine on earth for many years. It was about 46 gram per ton gold and about 2.2 kilograms of silver per ton. I mean, it's just phenomenal. See, they were producing gold. If you use the silver credits, they were producing gold at a negative cost for the entire length of the mine. I mean, it was, it was obscene. Okay, so... <laughs> So, when, you know, when the opportunity came to help SK, I'm like, yeah, can't, you know, sign me up. But it was also because I, I brought on, uh, I, I got Thomas Monarchy here at the School of Mines in mm-hmm. Colorado to agree. Okay, Thomas is the expert in SK Creek. He did his dissertation there. He's now a professor at the School of Mines. So, you know, Thomas and then his uh, associate, John DeDecker, who's a postdoc at, at School of Mines, uh, are the brains behind this, you know, and that's what I need to, you know, to do these. I, I like having a really good team like this who can do the the hard work and good science. Okay, so, and we've done that. We've got, we had phenomenal results right before Christmas. We announced our first batch of results from uh, the 20 holes that we managed to get in late last season. Uh, the the target, TB Jeff, is on the east side of the anticline from the SK Creek system. But it's basically the same system. We're seeing the same rocks, the same stratigraphy, same style of mineralization at TV Jeff, which is 13 kilometers from SK Creek, by the way, mm-hmm. as, as they have over at SK Creek. So, so we're very excited because it, it really tells us we are dealing with a district scale type system. Uh, I think uh, the next batch of results, when once they're back, uh, we've got 11 more holes that are coming back. I think we'll continue to see some very strong results in those holes that tell us we're we're into a very big system, but also, importantly, very high grade. Okay, uh, 
you know, we saw some high grades in the holes right before Christmas. I think we'll see some more in these upcoming holes. And that's really that, that kind of the secret sauce in the SK uh, Creek story is that super-duper high grade. All right. And uh, what, what can you tell us about um, about your drill program going forward this year then? Or, or do you have it pretty well defined, or are you sort of waiting on the next uh, the next uh, assays? We we do have it well defined. You know, look because of the the modeling that uh, Jeff or sorry John De Decker uh, has been doing at TV Jeff, uh, we're able to already ascertain using the the lithogeochemistry and the, the what he calls alteration indices. We can vector in and start planning out where we're going to extend our drilling. Okay, so we have a robust program planned at TV Jeff to expand upon the the results of, of this last season's drilling, no problem. Okay, and we probably have the, say, we'll call it at least 30,000 meters, probably more like 40,000 meters we plan to drill. About half of that's going to be allocated to uh, infill and step out around the TBGF system. Okay. So I'd expect a lot of consistent good news about a, a, a system that will keep growing. And, and quite frankly, I think we'll also hone in on the higher grade part of it now that we have that clear picture. Uh, so that's that's exciting in its own right, but but it gets better. Okay, so we have uh, a target at Sibulu, which is on the west side of the anticline, right along strike from Skeena's uh, SK mine, mm-hmm. and we're going to be drilling there too. We're going to allocate uh, maybe another 20, 25 percent of our drill meters to that target, and John's done a fantastic job of remodeling historic data there. We think you know, look at look at uh, Skeena; they drilled 50 meters from our property boundary at McKay Attic. And they're getting fantastic results. Okay, that comes right onto our ground, and it goes uh-huh. on down to Sip Lula. So we got like three kilometers of strike to work with right there. Okay, so that's going to be another important element in our exploration this year. Uh, then it, it only gets better. We have multiple targets defined by SkyTem and also recent bleg data that's coming back. Uh, bleg is stream sediment data that gives you a really good you know, picture of where there's outcropping mineralization. We have at least a dozen new targets, at least a dozen. They're actually, the number's going up as we get more data back. But we, we have a lot of very high quality, uh, what appear to be VMS type targets, uh, evident in geochemistry, as well as the geophysics. We're gonna test those as well. So the remaining meters of our drill program this year will be allocated to, uh, we'll call it step, or greenfield new target type stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so TB Jeff, robust, program, uh, Sib Lulu. Yep, we're going to drill uh, and see if we can extend the work that Skeena is doing down on the west limb of the anticline. And then we're going to test these new targets. It's going to be a very exciting year. Uh, we have the, the money in the bank uh, to, to, to do this. We raised uh, a little over $13 million back in November, added to our existing funds. I think we're a little over $15 million right now. Mm-hmm. So we're in a very good position to, to do a ro- robust program. Uh, one of the more important things we're going to do and early on is we're going to do, do an expanded SkyTem survey, which really highlighted these VMS targets uh, so well. So we're going to expand that to cover the, our entire property. And we're going we're, we're to, uh, especially over some of these new bleg anomalies we have, which are just, mm-hmm. I mean, these things are like, wow, kind of thing. So we're going to um, expand the SkyTem to start to hone in and define uh, these new drill targets. Like I said, we're at a dozen. I'd say right now, we, I'd say another eight or ten might come out 
of wow. the, uh, the new data. Massive, massive. So you've got a VMS field that was formed 180 million years, more or less, than 180 million years ago on the bottom of the ocean. It's now yeah. lifted up into the into the mountains in in BC, uh, and um, it's just, it's just it's just massive. I mean, what is the what is the scope of the of the land package that um, uh, that SK Mining has? Sure, we have about uh, let's see, I believe it's 526 square kilometers, mm-hmm. and it's it's really in the heart of the Golden Triangle. But you look, we've got SK Creek Mine immediately to the north, but we also have uh, we've got the KSM complex, Seabridge's yeah. complex immediately right. to the east. You got Predium to the east as well, and then this new Treaty Creek discovery is immediately east. So we're right in the thick of it. You know, uh, we're literally just right in this geologically super interesting area uh, that was really the focus or the loci for uh, uh, this mineralizing system back in in the Jurassic. So mm-hmm. it's a very exciting place to be. I, I should, with just a minute or two left here, yet I, I should note that Kirkland Lake is a twenty percent joint venture partner of yours. I, th- I think of. Uh, uh, of SK Mining on some of the land, right? Part of the property. Like the the Sib Lulu project, yes, they, they have 20% interest, but we have a 100% interest over Corey, which is basically the southern half of the, the target area. I can't imagine that Kirkland Lake isn't paying some attention that they're aware of what's going on there. Uh, I would think any up-and-coming mid-tier gold producer would want to take note of a new high-quality discovery and it's not just us, but I mean, look at Skeena and us. We're basically growing the same stuff here. So, you know, district-wise, this is a big one, and this is where uh, a new and up-and-coming gold mining company would want to be located. Yeah, I would think so. Um, friendly jurisdiction, uh, relatively anyway. So, uh, and uh, plenty of money in the bank and everything else. So, I guess you should have some drill results coming out. Do you have any idea when? Uh, you know, I was actually hoping, like when we scheduled this, I was hoping they'd be out by now. The lab's running a bit slower than I hoped. I would say within a week or two uh, right now, uh, you know, I think there's, uh, I don't know, eight or ten batches, something like that. Uh, so we have, like, partials from this hole and that hole. But I would say within a couple of weeks we should have them all back. Well, we'll certainly be looking forward to it. Um, it's, a, it's another great story. The stock is selling you know, I look at it in U.S. dollars at a dollar sixty-nine right now. It's pretty much unchanged today. Uh, so um, it's you know it hasn't it hasn't been going up like a rocket in the last few trading sessions. But uh, boy, those assays come out. Who knows? Uh, people start to see the big picture here. I think it's it's very exciting. Quentin, thank you so much for uh, for joining us again today and giving us an update on all this. It's very very important, and I think our investors, our listeners who take advantage of, of the insights that you provide uh, will, will come out very well with them. So thank you so much for being with us again. Thank you, Jeff. All righty, folks. So we do have to go to break, but don't go away because John Rubino will be with me to give us his thoughts on what, if any, impact a Democrat government in the United States will have on gold and other important markets uh, that we watch on this show. So don't go away. We'll be right back with John Rubino. America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. 
Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSXV and GTBAF on the OTCQX, is a gold exploration company focused on their district-scale Dixie project in the renowned Red Lake Mining District of Ontario. Having made multiple high-grade near-surface gold discoveries, GBR's capital efficiency has allowed them to be fully funded to complete a very active 300,000-meter drill program through 2021. Stay up to date on what's been considered one of the best-performing exploration stocks in the last three years by visiting greatbearresources.ca. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me my good friend, John Rubino. Uh, DollarCollapse.com is where you should go to uh, check out all the good stuff that John provides and people that he, uh, that he reads and passes on. Lots of, good, lots of goodies there, and one of my favorite things that he does every week is provides his top 10 videos, top 10 videos of the week, and uh, some really great stuff there, and we might touch on one of those videos uh, in my discussion with John. Now, thanks for coming back with me to, today, John. Hey, Jay. Great to be back. And, and you know, I think you had two videos in the top 10 in this last week, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> Michael very Oliver kind of was, was Michael really Oliver, encouraging. Yeah, and Alistair, <laughs> and Alistair yeah. McLeod. And I thank you, John, for doing that because uh, I appreciate that. We, we do have some great guests on this show, uh, including yourself, and thanks again for being with us. And uh, dollarcollapse.com is a great site to go to. Uh, for some honesty in the, in the markets, and uh, I think you know um, it, it's just good to sometimes step away from the mainstream and get ready uh, to look for some some things that might you might not see by sticking only with the mainstream press. So, um, so the, we titled our show today: "Will Democrats be gold friendly?" Um, and so, I'd, I'd like to start out, John, by asking you what your thoughts are, just in general. My my thinking is that. We were in a heap of trouble no matter who prevailed. If Trump remained on as president and if the Republicans kept the Senate, uh, we would still have a lot of a lot of issues that were really daunting. Uh, but just maybe sum things up in terms of where we are now as a country and our ability to finance enormous amounts of debt that the government is printing, uh, uh, is creating in trying to fix things for all of us. Well, um to put it bluntly, we're broke. You know, we're, we can't fix any of this because we've already used up all the money that we would normally use to fix all of our many problems. Um, and it's not stopping. We're going to borrow probably in total another seven or so trillion dollars this year after the same amount last year. And it's completely unsustainable. So I and, and I don't think that's a surprise to your listeners. Right. We yeah. all know that we're headed off a financial cliff and um you know, as you said, maybe there's some questions about whether the Democrats or the Republicans will take us across the cliff 
or uh, over the cliff faster. <laughs> and I, I think it's a, a fairly safe bet that the Democrats will turbocharge the process just because th there's a lot more they want to spend money on than mm -hmm. the Republicans. But, you know, we were going to run trillion dollar deficits for as far as the eye can see right. under Trump. So th there's not all that much more the Democrats can do, but they will do more because they intend to bail out the states and localities that have ruined their own, you know, local economies through um, underfunding their pension plans. And they're going broke individually, regardless of what happens in the rest of the country. But the Democrats won't let that happen. They will bail them out. So that's an extra couple trillion dollars on top of whatever the Republicans would have done if they were in office. And, mm -hmm. and you know, then there's student loans. That's a trillion or so that it'll take to bail them. It just goes on and on. There are mm -hmm. so, many, um, so many entities in need of a bailout right now. And, uh, you know, mostly because of the, the lockdown in the short run. But they would have needed those bailouts eventually anyhow, because we were always heading in this direction. Now, the, uh, the pandemic and the resulting lockdowns have brought a lot of future trouble into the present. So this is the year when a lot of it blows up. And as, as for the Democrats being friendly to gold... Um, there are two answers to that. One is that uh, philosophically, they're absolutely not friendly um, to gold because they believe in fiat currencies, which the governments control because they love the power of being able to create money out of thin air. So they don't like gold um, in the sense that gold is kind of a shadow form of money right now that uh, when it goes up, it illustrates the failure of the current monetary system. So Democrats don't like that. But their policies are extremely gold-friendly because if they're going to inflate away the dollar at an accelerating rate, that's great for precious metals. So uh, maybe, well, there are two bright spots, I think, in, to, in Democrats running the show. And one is that on the environment, they'll be less destructive than the Republicans. And they'll enrich gold bugs faster than the Republicans would have. So, Jay, you and I and a lot of your listeners will probably make more money in the next four years than we made in the last four years. And that's, you know, it's small comfort considering all the, the, uh, um, the suffering that yeah. inflation and currency crises right. and general fiscal mismanagement bring to most people. Mm -hmm. But those are the bright spots, you know, and, and it's not nothing, you know, to, um, to have your stack of silver coins go from 25 bucks an ounce to uh, $200 an ounce in four years, which could easily happen. And that means that the, uh, the gold bugs, today's preppers, you know, today's owners of um, junior mining stocks will be the ones with a lot of capital at some point in the future. And it's going to be our responsibility to help rebuild, you know, to help our friends and family. So anyhow, complex situation with, with some, you know, some bright spots, but mostly not. Mm -hmm. I wonder how many of the young people are really owning gold stocks. It seems like they might be owning Bitcoin and other things that are sort of cool for young people to own. But that's uh, maybe something we'll get to in a, in a moment. But if you have any thoughts, go ahead. Oh, my God, Jay, that's one of the most fascinating stories out there right now, because um, the, the government gave a bunch of um, stimulus money to millennials who basically are, you know, they grew up as gamers. They're very comfortable <laughs> playing video games. And uh, at the same time, free stock trading apps emerged like Robinhood. So not only are these guys getting free money, but they're, um, they're able to put it to work gambling on penny stocks for free. So my, my son, my 24-year-old son is doing this. And let me, uh, okay, 
Uh, I, I've got a text from him here. <laughs> okay, let's hear it. Basically, what, what they're doing is um, they get together on forums online where thousands of traders like this get, and, and they, they identify stocks that have a big short interest. And then they attack those shorts by buying the stock and trying to, um, trying to force the hedge funds who are short the stock into short covering. And then, you know, a lot of stocks are just being made incredibly volatile by like, there's one called GameStop that went from 10 yes. to 170, down below 100. Now it's back up in the hundreds. And now here's the text from my son. Um, let's see. Apparently, there's a 20 million short index or interest um, in keeping BlackBerry's price under 25. If we break that, the shorts have to cover and we own them. <laughs> That's my 24-year-old son. <laughs> and, you know, the shorts he's talking about are Citadel and Greenlight and yeah. Goldman and J.P. Morgan's trade prop trading desk, you know. So yeah. the, these kids now are preying on um, the, you know, institutional traders out there who used to be able to short stocks – in, in, in the expectation of a reasonably orderly market, and now they're being targeted. They're being treated like prey. <laughs> it's a poetic justice, but uh, of course it won't end well, but it's just hilarious to watch it while it's happening. Well, John, uh, this morning you and I were talking, and you said that this, this, this whole thing reminds you an awful lot of the dot-com era. Uh, of course, there were some companies that emerged from the dot-com era to become you know, big IT companies of the day that we, that really dominant companies now. But could you maybe just talk a little bit about what you're seeing? I mean, is this, this example, I guess, is where a lot of young people who get involved in the market who really don't have that much experience haven't maybe ever been through a really bloody bear market. Uh, that seemed to have been the case in with the dot-com era as well. A lot of young people with money jumping into the markets and causing an awful lot of froth. Of course, they didn't cause the froth. The froth is created by the money that's created out of nothing and thrown into the economy. But uh, So do you really see a, a comparison? Are you making a comparison, as I understand it, with what you and I both witnessed in, in 2000? Oh, yeah. This, this is eerily reminiscent of the tech stock bubble. Actually, let, let me back up just a little bit and tell you about me and bubbles. <laughs> Sure. I've been in them my whole life. You know, I, I read a, uh, a gold bug investment book when I was in college, just as the, um, the gold and silver markets exploded in the 1970s, you know, and I uh -huh. watched that with interest. So I saw that first bubble. Then I, in, in the 1980s, I was a um, junk bond analyst, just as the junk bond bubble blew up and almost took the whole economy down. And in the 1990s, I was a tech stock columnist for um, the street.com, which was uh -huh. a, a tech stock centric website back then. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so I, I followed that bubble up until it blew up. And then in 2003, I wrote a book on the housing bubble. And so was embedded in, in that bubble. So, you know, I've, I've been in bubbles my whole life. And <laughs> this bubble is, is iconic. It's exactly like the other bubbles, except it's orders of magnitude bigger. You know, those other bubbles were sector specific, junk bonds, tech stocks, housing. This is everything and everywhere. We know we've got a housing bubble now. We've got a tech stock bubble going on. We've got a bond bubble and we've got a new bubble in cryptocurrencies that, um, that you know, didn't even exist during those previous bubbles. And then we've got them all happening at once. So this, that's why, uh, well, James Turk and I wrote a book called The Money Bubble um, yes. to illustrate the point that it, it's not financial sectors now, it's our money 
that is in a bubble. And uh, today people call this the everything bubble because pretty much every major sector you can point to is behaving in a bubbly way. Now, these, these kids who are trading are very much like the day traders during the 1990s who traded um, uh, tech stocks. Even, mm-hmm. You know, they were total beginners, but yeah. they were able to day trade. You needed a little bit more gear back then to do it, but you could still do it. You know, you could day trade. And and a lot of these guys, oh, oh and they're like the house flippers in the 2000s. Yeah. People who uh-huh. were dentists or hairdressers or whatever started buying houses, painting them a little bit, and then flipping them for big profits. People who had no experience in the industry making industry professional kinds of money. So today you've got Robinhood traders who are buying little stocks and then the little stocks go up because there's so much money flowing into them. They sell them, they make some money, they move on to the next and they've gotten incredibly cocky, you know, because literally they've only been in the stock market, a lot of them for months, not Mm -hmm. years, just months. So all they know is this world where you buy a 15 cent stock and it goes to 45 cents and then you (laughs) sell it. And then you get together and you force a bunch of hedge funds into covering their shorts, and then you uh, you make a fortune when they do that. Um, so yes, this is what happens in bubbles because one of the characteristics of a bubble is that regular people start making insane amounts of money doing mm-hmm. things that professionals used to be who um, used to find difficult. Mm-hmm. So we're there, you know. So when th- this might go on for a while because the government is still flooding the system with cash, but. Uh, when that ends, this but this bursts in um in a way that's going to make like two thousand the tech stock bust or the housing bubble bust seem like kid stuff. This is going to be so much bigger and so much more widespread. Yeah, because the money that's going in to blow up this bubble has been a magnitude larger than what we saw in those previous episodes. But I want to bring to our listeners' attention a video that's on your top ten. Uh, that uh, features Michael Saylor, the CEO of a company called Micro, uh, micro micro.com, I think it is. Um, And he made a very powerful argument for Bitcoin. I'm telling you, as a gold bug, I'm listening to this and I'm saying, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I I think I'm I'm almost tempted uh, to put a a big percentage of my portfolio in Bitcoin now. Maybe I I buy GBTC or something like that. Uh, and and I mentioned that to you earlier today, and you sort of chuckled and said, "Well, yeah, I mean, that's what reminds you know you you heard people back in 2000 that were just as convincing about the dot com things that went to zero." Yeah, and, and I'm I'm not saying that he's wrong because you're right. He makes a very powerful case that very powerful uh, that Bitcoin is a um, a new technologically advanced monetary system mm-hmm. that um, that will basically just demonetize gold, silver, government bonds, fiat currencies, everything, and become the world's reserve asset. Um, it, very powerful argument. How, however, back in the 1990s and back in the 2000s, there were experts who made just as powerful arguments for house prices always going up because mm-hmm. demographics this and God's yeah. not making any more land, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And back in the, the 1990s, it was, oh, optical networking this and cash on the sidelines and, and baby boomer demographic. Yeah. You know, it, was, it was all that stuff that, that when you heard it, you thought, wow, that is very convincing. Maybe um, earnings don't matter. Maybe Amazon literally can go to infinity. You know, that's possible. And so I'm kind of leery of 
really powerful arguments just because I've heard so many in the past being um, kind of accidentally in all these bubbles. Um, so, you know, you, you, you can't let yourself be sucked into these things, even though, you know, it's not a guarantee that they're wrong, but it, they are a symptom. Arguments like that are a symptom of a bubble. You know, you mm -hmm. get experts, you get brilliant people saying really convincing things with absolute certainty that turned out to be wrong in the end. Yeah. And, you know, with cryptos, I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble fitting crypto terminology and the things that people say make it, you know, make Bitcoin the next great monetary system into my current understanding of markets. And um, so it could be that they just don't fit and they are fatally flawed and they're not going to work out. Or it could be that I'm like a, uh, you know, horse and buggy driver looking at my <laughs> first car in 1990 yeah. <laughs> or in, in um, 1890. 1890. Yeah. yeah. And I just don't, I, I just am unable at this point in my life to get my head around these new concepts although the new concepts are valid. So I, I recognize that the whole paradigm shift thing is possible, but um, these kinds of statements from experts are also the, exactly the kind of thing you hear in markets or in, in bubble markets over and over again. So you, you have to look at them also in that sense, you know, the sense that uh, this is what you should expect. You should expect kids like these Robin Hood traders to be doing extraordinary things and making huge amounts of money with no real experience. And you should expect experts to be telling you that there's a reason why this is happening. You know, I, I'm short Tesla and mm -hmm. I, I publicize that. So I'm getting a lot of that about Tesla, how, you know, it doesn't matter that their PE ratio is 1700 and it doesn't <laughs> matter that they're now more valuable than the next 10 car makers in the world combined, combined. because they are doing this, this, and this, you know, the story yeah. is so uh -huh. amazing. And, um, so you have to kind of guard yourself against amazing stories in bubbles because those stories will blow up on you. Not all of them, but a, a fair percentage, and, and they'll take your savings with you if you're not careful. Yeah, you know, certainly all, every now and then the markets turn around and go the other way, and they, they're very humbling. Um, investing over the long run is a very humbling experience, and um, – you know, you, we've all learned that. And one uh, person that has really known that is Jerry Grantham. Uh, and he's written an article recently called Waiting for the Last Dance. He's referring to this, uh, this bubble that we're talking about now as being his last dance, the last time, because he is an elderly, you know, older guy that doesn't figure he'll be around for the next one, perhaps. And I'd like to just read something and get your reaction to it, John. This is uh, sort of an executive summary from what Jeremy wrote. This was on January 5th. He says, and I quote, The long, long bull market since 2009 has finally matured into a fully-fledged epic bubble, featuring extreme overvaluation, explosive price increases, frenzied insurance, a, fr a frenzied issuance, and hysterically speculative investor behavior. I believe this event will be recorded as one of the great bubbles of financial history, right along with South Sea Bubble, 1929 and 2000, which you just talked about. He goes on, he says, these great bubbles are where fortunes are made and lost and where investors truly prove their mettle. For positioning a portfolio to avoid the worst pain of a major bubble breaking is likely the most difficult part Every career incentive in the industry and every fault of individual human psychology will work towards sucking investors in. But this bubble will burst in due time. 
no matter how hard the Fed tries to support it with, con- uh, with consequent damaging effect on the economy and on portfolios. Make no mistake, for the majority of investors today, this could very well be the most important event of your investing lives. Speaking as an old student and historian of markets, it is intellectually exciting and terrifying at the same time. It is a privilege to ride through a market like this one one more time. That's Jeremy Grantham. And I must say, John, he sounded an awful lot. uh, In reading that, I'm just thinking about the things you just said. Sounds like you and Jeremy uh, Grantham are pretty much on the same page. Yeah, I mean, I would never compare myself in any way to Jeremy Grantham. (laughs) But, but, um, yeah, I totally agree with everything you said because – this is this is the biggest bubble of our lifetimes, which is astounding when you think about the bubbles that we've lived through, right? The mm-hmm. tech stock bubble should have been the biggest. The housing bubble should have been the biggest, but yeah. this dwarfs them. So, um, okay, so the big question is, because, you, you know, Jay, you, you and I aren't here just to lament the, no. the sad state of the no, world. we want to find solutions. Yes, yeah. that's right. So how do you make money when a bubble bursts? And watch the movie The Big Short, and you'll see one way to do it. You know, you bet against the stuff that all the experts tell you you should be piling into, or most of the experts say. Um, And then you wait while you lose money hand over fist because you were too early. And then finally it works out. Everything just falls off the table and you make some order of magnitude more money than you put into it. And that's a really hard thing for almost anybody to do because you've got to get through that period of being too early because it's... Absolutely. I mean, it's theoretically possible for you to hit the very high with all of your shorts. No. And But you can't do that, really. Not in real very life. Very unlikely. So what you got to do is feather in. You buy, you short something now, you short something else later. You give yourself lots of time with either long-dated options or um, mutual funds that do the shorting for you or actual stock shorts where you can stay in that short position as long as you want. And you ride the um, the resulting... Or, you know, the, the following last phase of the bubble until you get to the bursting of the bubble. And then right. you make a ton of money. And it's, you know, it's psychologically incredibly hard to do. It is hard. Uh, but you that's how you make your fortune in bubbles. Mm-hmm. Now, if you yeah. just want to be safe, you go to all cash. Mm-hmm. Or in, in our case, when we talk about cash, we're, we're saying gold and silver, right? right. Not exactly. cash. And so, so you just go to all physical precious metals. Mm-hmm which might go down a bit during a stock market crash, but will preserve your purchasing power over time. Mm-hmm. And, and you just wait it out that way, knowing that you're still going to have a lot of value yeah. at the end of the process. But well, I do... think, well, oh, go ahead. yeah, I think, I think that's very good advice, John. We're going to have to pretty much leave it go at that. But just to mention that Jeremy is suggesting go to value. He says people have forgotten value. They're going into these growth stocks and you're just completely forgetting value. So he's suggesting going to, Value, and I would suggest that's that's makes that makes some sense. And certainly, if you believe that gold mines that produce gold is are values, uh, silver mines are values. There's other value stocks, and he's saying stay away, stay away from the growth stocks. By all means, stay away from those things. Uh, the Teslas of this world, I guess you're talking about, and, and some of the others. Uh, that's his advice, and um, I don't know if he understands gold or not. Uh, chances are he's not a big gold bug. Most of the major guys aren't. Uh, but we know, John, from thousands of years of history that gold does retain its purchasing power. Uh, and people can laugh at gold bugs if they want to. Uh, what's the saying goes? He's, he that last laughs, laughs, 
he who laughs last laughs best or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, well, I think uh, we do really need to keep our eyes on things, John, and I think you gave some very good advice. Is there any one last minute of 30 seconds? Yeah, actually, um, on, on a slightly different subject, I'd like to do a plug for, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, it's time to get out of these mainstream social media companies. So yeah. um, I closed down the dollar collapse um, Facebook page and my own page and I'm moving over to WeMe, which is a, a version of Facebook that doesn't censor you and doesn't spy on you and doesn't sell your information. And so it's a much better um, social media platform. So um over the next week or so, the Dollar Collapse page will be set up and the, um, the Dollar Collapse group will be set up. And so anybody who would like to, to come over there and join us, you'd be welcome. Okay. What is the name of it again? It's WeMe, W-E-M-E. Oh, excellent. And, okay. And yeah, it's a basically well, a version of Facebook with, without all the bad okay. baggage that Facebook oh. has built up. Okay. We got to go, John, but we'll talk to you more about that in the future. Folks, that is it for this week. Charles Hugh Smith with me next week, as well as Michael Oliver. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. 